the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Missional Life Podcast. We have as our guest today, the co-founder of the Influence Network. She's a business consultant and a ministry consultant. She's the author of The Courage to Believe, a 30-day devotional, and she is the founder of the Get More Out of Life Women's Conference. Chrissy Miles, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Dan and Amanda. So nice to see you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, you too. Been too long. It's been too long. Chrissy, your life is just, it's been an inspiration to us. We've kind of been friends with you guys. We've kind of known you guys for a long time, but for our listeners, um, they don't all know fully your story. So take us back. Like our childhoods can, they can greatly affect who we become. And you come from a home that had strife, abuse, and lack, mm-hmm. but God came to you. He broke you out of that cycle. Tell us a little about how God brought you out of that painful background and brought you into a revelation of his grace and helping to set others free. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me. Uh, Yeah, we've been in ministry now for over uh, 20 years. And uh, so that would bring me back to my mid 20s at that point. And then prior to that growing up, um, you know, my mom was a believer, but uh, she struggled quite a bit in that, you know, she was very young when she got married. And my dad was not a believer when they got married. So they had a very troubled relationship and eventually ended up, you know, divorcing, you know, one another. But the whole childhood experience, I always say we we lived in a middle-class family with a poverty mentality. And so any kind of dysfunction that you can imagine, that was part of our family life growing up. And being the oldest child, I, of course, took on a lot of responsibility for my younger sister and taking care of my mom when my dad wasn't around. So I just grew up with a really, uh, you know, severe, I would say, sense of responsibility, too much responsibility for a young child. And I tried to run away from all of that. When I uh, graduated from high school, my mindset was, I am never coming back here. I'm basically divorcing myself from my family in my mind. And yes, we'll still be related by blood, but I want nothing to do with them. I want my life to look totally different. And that worked pretty well for, I would say, six years, as well as it can work when you're running away from the Lord. And I had actually accepted Christ as, um, I would say, my personal savior when I was about 13 or 14 years old but I never really understood what it meant to make him my Lord. And there's a big difference. And I teach about that quite a bit, especially in a lot of the the work that I do, because I think a lot of Christians end up finding themselves in that place where they have a relationship with Jesus in the sense that, you know, they want to go to heaven someday, but they really have not transitioned into being a disciple of Jesus, which is different than being a follower of Jesus. So I found myself in a real crossroads in my life, um, had gotten involved into, you know, know, unhealthy relationships, you know, all across the board. And it was kind of at the tail end of my life, pretty much crashing down all around me. My dad was in the midst of his second divorce at this time. And uh, I just, I was unsatisfied in my position that I was in, in my career. You know, I'd gone to school for, you know, X number of years and You know, I did, I had done all the things that society said that you should do to make yourself happy. And I was just miserable in every way. And I had really had come to this idea. And I said, you know, Lord, if if you're really real and what you say about yourself and the word is true, then I I need help. You know, you've got to get me out of this mess because my life is, is truly falling apart. And pretty much what had happened is 
you know, like I said, I, and you mentioned earlier, you know, I had, I had been abused when I was younger, you know, by a family member. And so all of those negative things that you carry with you from childhood into adulthood, we just have a tendency to try to repress. We don't know how to deal with that, that kind of a trauma. And then you add that to the fact that, you know, my parents had gotten divorced and, you know, all these, these things that we find ourselves um, you know, really stuck in, I think, uh, so many people can relate to, to, to something like that. And I just, I needed, I needed a release, you know, I, in fact, I, I, I was so depressed that I had considered taking my own life even, and it was just a really, really rough, rough moment. But I had mentioned, you know, I, I knew Jesus as my savior, but I did not know him as my Lord. And, and it was in that one moment where I really cried out to him and I, I, I just asked him to for, forgive me. And he showed me this picture of him forgiving my oppressor. And I thought if he can forgive my oppressor, the person who abused me, then I have an obligation and a responsibility to forgive that person too. You know, if Jesus can forgive him or me, then he can forgive all of us. And we all kind of fall in that same category of needing God's forgiveness. And it was in that moment, I, I, I saw myself, you know, in, in my mind's eye, kind of at the foot of the cross, I saw Jesus' blood just washing over me. And it was, it was just a turning point in my life that uh, really set me on the path that I'm, that I'm on today. Wow. That's so good. Mm-hmm. So good. And I love the, the distinction that you had and you, you made between disciple and follower. And mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about that? How do you, how do you frame that in your mind between a disciple and a follower of Jesus? So I always say that you're not truly a disciple unless you know how to make disciples, right? That was the key characteristic of the disciples is that they were making disciples when they finally got the revelation of what the resurrection was all about and all the stories that Jesus had told them about the kingdom of God, uh, their, their whole attitude, their whole lives changed radically when they were filled with the Holy spirit, right? They, they were on a mission to take this message out. And so, you know, there were plenty of people that followed Jesus around. Uh, they stood, you know, on the sidelines, they watched what he did. They even questioned him sometimes. And sometimes they would even, uh, you know, hang around more of like that inner type circle, but only those people who were interested in taking that message that he had deposited on the inside of them and carrying that forth to someone else. Those are the people who were truly the disciples. And I think that there's a big void today in the body of Christ uh, in Jesus disciples, there's a lot of Jesus followers, but I find that so few people feel equipped to know how to share the message that God has given them. And quite frankly, it, it's really got to be more than a message, right? And I, I talked about this recently in a YouTube um, episode that I did. I have a, a YouTube you know, show that I do. And one of the things that I mentioned is that you know, when, when people do not have an experience with Jesus, it's kind of hard to talk about him. And what ends up happening is that people are sort of in proximity to the things of Jesus, but they've never really had an experience with Jesus where they have had him, you know, wa- you know, wash away their sins or, or, or free them from years of bondage or guilt or, or shame or, or addiction, all of these things that plague us. And so, you know, when you don't have an experience with Jesus, you're really just talking stories about Jesus. You know, he, he's not really a, a personal, um, you know, a personal confidant of yours, or there's no real personal connection there. And sadly, 
um, I think that that people really miss out. And so not only do they miss out personally, but then they sort of misinterpret what it means to uh, evangelize or to take the message of the gospel, you know, out into the world because they've never had that experience themselves. Hmm. You know, that's so good. Um, you know, as you were just talking, a verse that just kept coming to mind is they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And it's like the picture that you got of Jesus washing you with his blood, you know, which is for everybody who receives the forgiveness. So the forgiveness is for, for everyone, but it's our choice to receive that. But sharing that testimony is how we help others to receive that and to overcome. And I just think, you know, you painted a really good picture of what that looks like, you know, wh- how that is pursued. Yeah, because, you know, you can have, like I said, you can, you can have a relationship with Jesus and still not make him your Lord, right? And that's the, the, the conclusion that I had come to is that after a while, you know, as you grow up and you get out of childhood, you realize that the outcome of your life is not dependent any longer on outside forces, right? You are responsible for your own life. And for years and years, I just blamed everything. You know, I blamed society. I blamed my family. I blamed my mom, my sister, my dad, you know, my abuser. Like I blamed everybody for the outcome that I was experiencing. And after a while, when you realize that those people really aren't even, you know, they're not there anymore in the sense, right? They're not, they're not lording over your life any longer, like you may have felt when you were younger, then that means that the outcomes that I'm receiving in my life are exactly a byproduct of my own choices at this point. And so I want to have a different outcome, then I have to start making different choices. And that's where I really relied on Jesus and said, you know, if, if you're really real and your word is true and you know me the way that you say that you do, then I have to acknowledge that you must have a better plan for my life than, than what I do. Because I have come down this road before and found myself in these exact same positions of feeling worthless and empty and, and hopeless. I have to at least come to terms with the fact that my choices are not producing the kind of life that I want to have. And so if, if you truly are real, then if you show me how to live and what you would do in my situation, in my circumstance and how you would do it, I will follow that and I will listen to you. And I can tell you that that one decision absolutely radically changed my life forever. And it was from that point on that I became extremely in tune to, you know, the voice of God in my heart, the, 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 the promptings of the Holy spirit. And I literally committed to doing everything he told me to do. And I don't care how insignificant it was. If he said, get up five minutes early and pray, I got up five minutes early and prayed. If he said, walk down to the neighbor's house and and say something to the neighbor, I did that. And it was through those very, very small choices of the will that I really turned my life completely around. So it was a really incredible experience. Yeah, I love that. And what uh, listeners, you know, if you if you missed what she said, it she said those small choices mm-hmm. made big differences in her life. Yes. And I've heard it said, you know, consistency compounds. Uh, yes. And it compounds that consistency, just those small decisions. It's that butterfly effect. Those small, those small decisions mm-hmm. make very big changes in our lives. And so, wow, I love that. It can that. happen a lot faster than what people think. You know, it's, it's what happens when we, we are prompted, you know, the challenge in, when you, when you receive, let's say the gospel of grace, right. Is that all of a sudden now uh, you realize that there's more to life 
than what you have ever really thought about. And so the problem that we run into though, is that we don't really know how to appropriate grace in our lives as believers. Nobody really teaches us how to do that. And so we have like this, this expanded vision of what life can be like, the grace and the love of God. But because we've never really been taught how to appropriate that grace consistently, we, we find ourselves basically what I call running into a brick wall. It's like you have this revelation. That's really the, the second you know, major turning point in my life is I had this revelation of the gospel. I knew that God was really good, that he wanted good things for me. And yet I found myself you know, still kind of coming back to old mindsets. I mean, there was a big freedom and a big jump that happened when I you know, first made Jesus my Lord. But then I wanted more. You know, I wanted to go beyond some what I call limiting beliefs and limiting ideas. And I really wanted to explore you know, if God really is that good and he's done that, that, for, that much for us and saving us, setting us free, you know, giving us the keys to the kingdom and all this stuff that you read about in scripture, then why isn't that working in my life? And that really began for me a journey of exploring if, if grace is the power of God unto salvation, right? And salvation meaning that, that, that we have, you know, every, you know, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms has been given to us in Christ Jesus, right? Everything we need for life and godliness. If this is all true, then I want to experience as much of that in this world as I possibly can. And so how do I appropriate the power of God to overcome limiting beliefs in my life so that there are no more roadblocks because there are no more roadblocks, spiritually speaking, right? If we truly have everything and we possess everything in our spirit, man, then the question becomes, how do I live that out? How do I experience that? And that happens by appropriating grace one step at a time. And what you begin to see is that that is really what the journey of faith is, is all about. So many times people think of faith as trying to get God to do something for us. Faith is really our response to what God has already done for us. And I always say that the hallmark of faith is faithfulness, right? So when I become faithful in the things that he has outlined in his word, and I, I faithfully walk that out, not in my own effort, not in my own strength, but in his grace and in his power, I begin to trust him more, which then in turn continues to impact my faith. My faith continues to grow. And I see the power of God keep, you know, growing me personally, uh, year after year, day after day, you know, precept upon precept, line upon line, little by little. And you'd be surprised at what you can accomplish. Uh, Tony Robbins always said, most people overestimate what they can accomplish in one year, but underestimate what they could accomplish in five. And I find that to be so true. You know, we, we're sort of overzealous on what we can get done in a year, but in five years, and I, my testimony is, is that in six months, my life totally turned around, you know? So for people watching, thinking that this is going to be a really tough journey, or I don't know how to get started. I always say the journey of a thousand steps begins with one mile, or excuse me, a, a thousand miles begins with one step. So you take one step towards God. And what you begin to see is that you slowly, slowly, by slowly, but faster than what you expect to get to that destination that, that we're looking for. Yeah. And I know you do some coaching too. Um, and the word that kind of stood out to me earlier when you're speaking was this, this concept of stuck. You know, so many people, you know, come to certain points in their lives, you know, and you realize that, wow, I am where I am because it's a result of my decisions or a result of it. You can't pass the blame on other people indefinitely. Ultimately, you have to come to kind of the realization that the buck stops here. And, you know, if you want to see change, then it begins with first making a decision to make a change and then beginning those small things, getting up earlier, uh, you know, five more minutes with God or, you know, whatever that is. 
And I know you do some different coaching. What are some of the different things that you see as like the biggest obstacles holding people that are getting people stuck in life? And how do you help coach people through those, uh, those stuck moments those stuck transitions or stuck moments in life? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you say that I'm actually filming my first online course right now, and that's going to be re- uh, released and launched here in hopefully a couple of months. I call it influence you. And it'll be uh, over 40 lessons. It'll take people through an eight-week process of what I call your, your, my top eight keys to get more out of life. And these are the things that God taught me uh, very early on that within a six-month period of time, my life totally turned around. I was on a different path in my career. I met my future husband. Uh, we had plans to get married. I went on my first, first mission trip that was fully funded, fully paid for. I mean, I had done so many things in that short period of time that I thought there is something to this. And so, uh, you know, one of the things that I teach then in this is that we have to learn as, as believers, how to influence our own hearts. You have to learn how to influence yourself, which, you know, really you could take that back to a verse, like, you know, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know, what does that really mean? How do I take a thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus? So so I walk people through uh, situations like that. I help people understand what it really means to meditate on the word of God. You know, the Bible teaches that if we meditate on, on his law day and night, that he causes everything we do to prosper, you know? So how do you meditate on the word of God and, and, and get a positive effect out of it? So principles like this in influencing your heart is really the key, I believe, to seeing the good things that God has deposited on the inside of us through Jesus Christ manifest themselves. You know, we know that the, 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 the mankind is made up of a, of a mind, a will, and emotions, right, our soulish realm, and that is really sort of the, the in-between part of drawing off of the kingdom of God that dwells in our spirit and making those things manifest in this world. So those are, those would be some, some takeaways, I guess, from that. Wow. So good. So mm-hmm. good. Um, so you created a conference uh, as well called the get more out of life conference. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, I know you, this is how many years have you been doing this? So we've been doing women's conferences um, for at least the last eight years, I would think. So I, I believe that this is our eighth, eighth uh, consecutive year of doing uh, women's conferences. And, uh, you know, we, we call this one Get More Out of Life. That's really the theme of, of my ministry. And, you know, again, as I looked around to the outcome of my life, I pretty much was on a path to end up exactly like my family. And, you know, there's some great things about my family. The Lord has done a lot. Uh, He's restored us a lot. And there's a lot of things that my family did that helped, you know, keep me in better shape than probably what I would have been totally on my own. Um, But I just knew that I wanted more out of life. You know, I, I wanted the dream. I wanted the the, you know, the, the, the white picket fence and the happy marriage and, and a future and a hope and, and abundance and prosperity, the freedom. I wanted all of that. And I just had come to the realization that, that in order to get more out of life, you know, we, we really have to have a foundation on what the word of God says. And not only the fact that the Bible is real, that it's true, it's an accurate depiction of the creation of the world and the story of humanity and God's role in it and Jesus's uh, you know, redemption through humanity, but it's also a prescription for life. And I find that so many people these days have distanced themselves from the word of God. You know, obviously there is a, 
um, you know, sort of this intellectual um, overtone in most circles that have tried to really destroy the, uh, the educational or intellectual integrity of the Bible. And I find that to just be, you know, really a tactic of the enemy to get us to separate ourselves from a life-giving resource that can help guide our lives into the best life possible. You know, sin is, is basically, I, I liken it to a disease, you know, and God wants to remedy that. And we know that he does remedy that in our spiritual realm, but then how do we get the truth that he has deposited on the inside of us to actually manifest in our minds so that we're not controlled any longer by limiting beliefs or, or faulty mindsets or, or philosophies of this world, but how can we be controlled by the truth of the word so that we can live out our destiny here on this earth? And so I'm super passionate about seeing people get the most out of life. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people that just settle. A lot of Christians I see, they just settle for you know status quo living. And if you look around the world, there are a lot of people who aren't Christians that are living in some cases much better than Christians are living. And when you when you step back for just a moment and you think about that, now obviously, you know, there, there are certain things that they don't have that we have that you know we cannot put a price tag on. But when you think about the the kind of the promises that God has made, you know, starting with the, the Hebrew nation and now that is all available to us through Jesus Christ. Christians should be at the top, right? We, we, are the, we should be above only and not beneath. We should be the head and not the tail. We should be in positions of leadership. We should be in a positions of influence and authority. Um, you know why? Because we have the presence of God living on the inside of us, which means we carry the wisdom of God, the words of God. You know, And so we know that he desires life and he desires for as many people to experience life as possible. And I believe that we have a responsibility as believers to help to, to navigate and to draw people into the best life that we can possibly have here on this earth. And, you know, certainly we see that uh, in, in, you know, for hundreds of years, especially uh, here in the United States, Christians have been at the forefront of, of bettering people's lives around the world. And we're losing that ground, you know, really, really fast. And so I'm, I'm really passionate about helping people to see that there is more to life than meets the eye. And if we are focusing in on the right things, you can actually live with purpose, you can live with calling, you can live your destiny. And not only can you do it, but I believe that that's God's best for us to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's very encouraging. So thank you so much. Chrissy, you're also a scholar. Uh, you you hold you hold advanced degrees from you know a pretty prestigious university, you know Notre Dame, and I I know that there are so many listeners out there that you know you and I both know, we all know that that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is you know it is infallible, it is you know conclusively only what what God says, right? But there's there's definitely arguments out there. There's a lot of people kind of intellectually sparring and, and kind of almost calling into question the integrity of the word of God mm -hmm. now. And I know you've done some very diligent research on that. And can you tell us a little bit more on kind of some of the conclusions that you've reached on, you know, how do we know? How can we how can we know and how can we defend that as Christians that it is indeed the word and we can stand on that and not back down when people are challenging us. Can you speak a little bit to that? 
Yeah, I love that question. And part of the reason why I feel so uh, qualified in answering that question is that the word of God, the Bible as we have it, uh, was basically passed down to us through through language, right? Through through people's language and their depiction of the events that they, they uh, participated in, that they saw, that they witnessed, okay? So usually what happens is, and, and I'm a linguist, you know, that is my, that is my trade. I'm a German speaker. Uh, this, is, this is what I do kind of before my life as a missionary and a pastor. Um, that's, that's where my, my wheelhouse is. So in being a linguist and learning language, you begin to understand that there are certain parameters that a good linguist and a good translator must hold to in order for the work to be considered a valid work. Now, what I mean by that is this, if I, you know, if I say a sentence, um, you know, in German, right, there are plenty of academics around me that are probably more qualified than I am that could give me input and insight onto the, you know, the correct uh, way of, you know, putting together a sentence, for example. So, right, these things are, there's a standard that we must follow. That same academic standard is applied to the translation of the Bible, okay? So, regardless if people believe in the stories that the Bible records, and that's a totally different thing, but, you know, what happens is because so many people disregard the stories as they're recorded, they say, well, the Bible just must not be accurate or true, so you have to kind of, you know, come at the argument, in my opinion, from a standpoint of the Bible is an academic work. And there are academians all around the country and all around the world that verify the accuracy and the validity of the translation of the documents that they have. And in fact, we have more translations in the original, uh, and well, actually more manuscripts in the original language of the Bible than we do even of Shakespeare's works. Right, we have more translations that are that are complete translations of the Bible than we do of Abraham Lincoln's writings. Now, these are two people that most people would never question the validity of Abraham Lincoln's writings or of Shakespeare's work, and yet we have more firsthand documentation of the Bible than any other piece of literature in history. If you're intellectually honest, you cannot deny that. It's only people that uh, do not adhere to any kind of intellectual honesty that want to disregard that. So when it comes to the translation of the word, the translation of the Bible from its original language into what we have, let's say in German and then in English is considered over 96% accurate. And that accuracy has to do not only with the individual translation of the words, but it also has to do with the, you know, the cultural Im implications and the, you know, the overall story that is woven through the entire Bible from beginning to end. Now, those, those, that 4%, right, that 4%, those would be items that are related to specific, let's say, units of measure or weight that we, we maybe have a question about, you know, exactly what is a mina? right? Or exactly what is a SIPA, right? We, we think we know what that is, but in order to, you know, verify that completely, we would have to have some kind of more, you know, archaeological support for those things. So the discrepancies that we see in the word of God, by and large, just aren't there. And uh, I know that that can be, you know, it can rub people the wrong way when they hear that. And they'll say, well, what about this? What about that? And, you know, they want to compare, you know, one sentence or one translation from this out or the other. But those are those are so minor compared to the overarching, you know, intellectual integrity of the translation of the Bible that they're really kind of a non-issue, especially among academics. 
again, you could question the, if the miracles happened, but regardless if you believe the miracles happened, there were people that recorded it as such. And you have to come back to, you know, really the, these biographies of Jesus, which is what this all hinges upon, quite frankly. And when you look at the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Gospels, you know, what you see is you see a uniform uh, depiction of the story of Jesus, which ultimately has to lead people to the question of, was Jesus really the son of God? And ironically, that's what the entire Bible hinges itself on. Was Jesus truly the son of God? Did he really raise from the dead? And if so, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for my relationship with God? And how does that affect my, my eternity? Now, these are tough questions for people because we've been taught to suppress these feelings as opposed to dealing with these feelings. But I think that anybody with any kind of, uh, like I said, academic integrity or intellectual integrity there's, there's, you can't really deny these things. Wow. That's powerful. That's mm -hmm. powerful. Absolutely. So where, so what are the biggest arguments against, you know, so, you know, sometimes I, I hear about different people that are going into, you know, to ministry and they are going, they go to seminary and then they end up walking away from faith. And they, they kind of get into the minutia of the Bible and into kind of some of these, these, you know, kind of studying, did this really happen? Or if this really, uh, is this a historical phenomenon or did it, or is it just something, you know, that we, we read into, and it's just supposed to tell us, you know, a story through just literature. Can you tell us, talk to us a little bit about the kind of what, what they would say is inconsistent and kind of, and, um, and what the actual truth is. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there's been a long history, um, you know, of the world of trying to discredit and discount the things of God. But, you know, one of my mentors that I look up to a lot, Dr. Jim Richards, I think he says it so, so well, is that if, if you do not uh, believe or adhere to the creation account in Genesis chapter one, then you will not be able to accept anything that the Bible says. Right. So if you do not see the world from the lens of an, a, a good, benevolent creator who created this world the way that it is, and as opposed to seeing it from, you know, this this big bang, we came from nothing sort of thing, you'll miss everything in the Bible. And unfortunately, there's been such an effort that has been undertaken to discount and discredit, um, you know, the, the scientific realities that we have in front of us every single day that, 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 that point to there being, uh, you know, an unseen creator that, you know, again, people, you know, don't really study that for themselves. So, and it doesn't really take a, you don't have to be an intellectual to study these things. There's a lot of great resources out there that honestly, you know, uh, expose the inconsistencies with, let's say the evolution story, or, you know, even this big bang theory. Um, you know, one of my favorite things to think about and thinking about the creation of the world is the second law of thermodynamics which most people don't think about when you think about creation, but the second law of thermodynamics states that everything tends towards disorganization, right? Meaning that there is an element in this world that leads to things becoming more disorganized, not more organized. So the whole basis and premise of evolution is that something came so simply and now it's continuing to manifest itself in a more organized fashion, right? There is a there is a there's a single cell organism that has now evolved into this very complex human being. Well, the second law of thermodynamics is actually 100% against that, and it's a law of science and physics. 
not just a theory, meaning that we can observe with our own eyes that if left unattended, things become more disorganized, not more organized. And to me, that's, that's again, that's a direct evidence of the fact that there is a creation story that the sin has come into the world and you know we see this this chaos that has ensued as a result of that um so you know those are just that's just one example of literally hundreds and hundreds of examples that you could point out but i think that you know if it really kind of comes down to the the base of it is you know do you believe what genesis chapter one says do you believe that god really did create the world and that he is a benevolent creator do you believe in the fall of man all of those things really are at the at the crux of whatever else the bible says and if we don't believe what it says from the very beginning we'll never believe anything that it says after that absolutely and i keep on thinking about how you know god put it eternity in the hearts of man and we kind of think mm. like, he, he wants to be found and so many people you know when you get intellectual they kind of think that oh god doesn't want to be found he's you know so high above us and you know ultimately you know at the heart of god is this you know desire to reconcile man to himself and Absolutely. we get that so confused you know so much of christianity historically has you know painted this picture of an exclusionary god a god who you know really is looking for you know any way to disqualify someone from entering in heaven and being in you know in his presence but really it's exactly the opposite god is yeah. you know looking for every reason possible that he can that, i mean even going to the cross himself to include his creation because he so loves us and he he's put that innately in our hearts Absolutely. and he wants to be found by man and you know science yeah. ultimately does point to him you know he's you know and so many christians that get so concerned they get so worried well science says this or that you know ultimately you know i've heard it said that a, a little science will lead you away from god but a, a lot of science will lead you to god because you just you, there's no there's no way to answer a lot of these questions and you know these the, they're making their best guesses based off of what we know and you know you you expand into some of these different you know concepts and I, i'm not a scientist myself but you know as we start looking further into the expanses of the galaxies and the universe we start finding that some of these laws that we call laws that we build everything on actually begin to change or they begin to re they start to act in a little bit different way and we can't make those we don't we don't know they don't know but they're all making their best guesses and so yeah you know, it, it's really just humanism right you know it's like it's it's humanism's uh you know attempt to place mankind at the center of everything and that's just the antithesis of, of God, right? We know that God is the center of all and that he created all. And we are, we must, you know, submit ourselves to him, which kind of goes back to the, the, you know, sort of the earlier part of our interview, you know, that each person must come to a realization in and of themselves that without God's mercy and grace and the, the sacrifice of Jesus, we deserve to be punished for our wrongdoings. You know, that, that is written on the heart of man as well. And it's, it, it really just kind of comes back to these foundational issues. But again, it's the humanistic, and I call it the, the thought process of this world that try to you know, almost uh, distance ourselves from any kind of personal responsibility because we, we cannot bear the, the thought of the, of the consequence of what that would mean. 
Now, I always say that the good news is, is that you don't have to bear the consequences in fact, but you at least have to recognize that there is consequences unless you can actually get down to the point where you realize that, you know, you deserve death for the sins that you've committed against God, then you can never really receive the salvation that he freely offers. And that's the saddest part about it is that he offers it freely. He's already done the work. We just have to put ourselves in alignment with that truth and acknowledge and recognize that he is the creator and I am not. And therefore I must submit my heart to him. And that's, that's tough. We have to lay down our pride. Um, we have to let go of this world in the sense that, you know, we, we're, we, you know, we have to submit to God. Wow. I want to pivot a little bit. You have written a story or a devotional, I should say, called The Courage to Believe. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Tell us a little bit about that, that devotional, that 30-day devotional, and how did you come to the, the title, The Courage to Believe? Yeah, so uh, like I said, in, in my journey, I realized that the word of God was true, but my life was not lining up with the outcomes that I saw people in the word of God experiencing. You know, for me, it really just started in uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I saw these things in scripture, but I did myself had not experienced that. And I, I just questioned if this is there and people experienced it, you know, in the first century church, why not me? What, 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 what is preventing me from having this in my life? It seems like that all these people experience this, but why not me? And what the Lord began to show me is that I had to actually believe that his word was true. And not only in issues related to, you know, let's say the, the releasing of the Holy Spirit in my life, but every other issue in the word, when you see it depicted, you have to ask yourself, do I believe that? You know, we just talked about the story in Genesis chapter one. If I see this, that it says that God created the heavens and the earth, do I really believe that? Because every time we choose to hold on to our own thoughts and opinions uh, and, and not to align our thoughts and opinions with what the word of God says, we will be blocked in receiving the benefit of the word, right? The word is designed to, to um, uh, grow, right? It's designed to have a positive impact, make a positive effect in our lives. So in order to, to believe, I have to have the courage to let go of my former thought processes, my former opinions, uh, my former way of life, even, you know, for, for many, for many of us, we've probably, uh, you know, who've had this sort of conversion experience, you kind of have to ask yourself, am I willing to give this all up in order to follow God? Am I willing to give up my friends, my family members, my stature, my, my place in society, uh, my job, you know, whatever it is, am I willing to give all of this up in order to follow Jesus? And the disciple who says yes to that, really understands what it means like when john the baptist said he must increase and i must decrease right we die to ourselves at that moment in order to live for god and that that process actually must continue in the life of a, of a believer we must continue to die to ourselves. and the way that we do that so we do that once when we accept jesus as our lord and savior but we continue to do that when we submit our thinking to the truth of the word which means that every time i read something in the word of god the minute I say in my heart, well, I don't believe that that's true, or I don't believe that that's true for me, or I don't think God would do that for me, or I don't think God does that all the time, that should be an indication to us that there is something that we are holding on to that is setting itself up against the knowledge of God. And if I want to experience what I'm reading about in the scripture, I have to understand uh, why I'm thinking that, but more importantly, I just have to be willing to submit to the truth. And so to have the courage to believe that 
uh, first starts about, you know, believing in what the word says, believing in the truth of the word, even though I might not understand it. But the second aspect I think happens when we have embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that he, he, he comes and he dwells on the inside of us. He, he, he transforms us into his image, right? We have the righteousness of God now living on the inside of us through Christ Jesus. Now what I must believe as a born again believer is that what God says about me is true. And that is actually even more challenging, in my opinion, than just, you know, accepting the word at face value, because now I have to see myself as God sees me in order to benefit uh, from the things that God has placed on the inside of me that God has bestowed upon me. And that takes a lot of courage, mostly because we have this idea if if I'm not this way, then how, who am I, right? We, we get so tied into our identity and how we've always done things, how we've always thought about things. And if I'm no longer this way, then who am I exactly? And that's because we're, we're learning how to let go of our personal identity and we're learning how to embrace the identity of Jesus Christ. And when you can have the courage to step out and what Jesus says about you and then and see how he feels about you and what he's done in your life actually manifest into the unique personality giftings that he's given you. That's a beautiful thing. You're truly able to walk in the in the new creation that he's made you to be. Hmm. Yeah, that's just so powerful. I just love um, the renewing of the mind that's just, you know, was so prevalent in what you were just sharing and. Um, how important it is to really get that identity picture, you know, and it does take courage, you know, it's absolutely right. It takes courage to say, whoa, everything that I thought for my whole life up to this point, and now what does God's word say? And that that's even a process as we grow as believers and continue to be transformed in our lifetime journey of, you know, being discipled and discipling others is getting that word rooted in you and just letting God show you what that picture is in his word, not, well, that's what so-and-so said about me. That's what I was called. That's what I've always seen myself this way. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> Exactly. have the courage to see what God sees and believe it and mm -hmm. say God's word that's it. You know, that's, that's right. the final authority. Yeah. So and that think is about, so good. You know, I'm sure you have people in your audience that have struggled with what other people have said about them in the past, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, perhaps the opinion that you were given from your parents or your grandparents or, or whatever the case is, we pick up these stones, as my good friend Tina Conkin says, along our journey. And before we know it, we're, we're dragging around a bag of rocks yeah. of all the things that people have spoken into us or over us and we have to be willing to let that go and the freedom that you experience by letting go of the things that people have spoken over you to embrace what god says about you there's just no other feeling like it uh and, and, you know, I just encourage all of your, your listeners and your viewers to just continue to approach God from that mindset of God, what do you say about me? How do you see me? What's your perspective of me? And, and God has a favorable opinion of us. He loves us, right? He doesn't just love us. He likes us. Yes. Uh, I had a conversation with a gentleman in our church not too long ago. And uh, he's, he's beat himself up a lot over the years because he is very intellectual and he's, he's, 
he's approached his faith from a very intellectual standpoint. And I think he's developed a, an opinion that maybe, you know, he has to have more faith, right? Or he has to have more emotion connect to his relationship with God. And I said, but God made you to think this way. So find God in that, right? He's made you intellectual. He's made you think critically about these things. Like he wouldn't have made you that way if he didn't want to use that gift that he's given you for his kingdom purposes. So don't beat yourself up. Don't reject that. Embrace that and allow him to actually make that mindset and that personality gifting that he's given you blossom into something amazing that only you can do. And that's the beauty of it. You know, he creates us brand new when we're new creations. The Bible teaches that that word in the original language means a species that has never before existed. Mm. So we become new creations. Every single one of us are recreated as a brand new species that has never existed before in anyone else. That's that's a beautiful back to our creation story, right? Mm-hmm. God is still in the in the process of creating when he recreates our spirits. And the person that I became when I was recreated in my spirit, there will be no one else like me for all of eternity. No one else like you, uh, no one else like any of your viewers. He does that for us and in us and through us because he 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 sees us all individually. Um, and he loves the creative work that he does in each of our lives. Mm-hmm. I just want to add this in too. I heard um, in the last few years, I've heard a pastor often say like, I'm God's favorite. And I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, you know, it just struck me like I'd never heard someone speak that before. But then when you really think about it, it's like, oh, God's big enough that he loves us all for, you know, each for who we are, that there is no one that's going to be exactly replicated like each of us. So it's not like God's this parent with limited attention, limited, you know, time frames. like he is God and we are, each of us are his favorites. So, yeah, it, it's really hard for believers to, to believe that God has a favorable, positive opinion of them. We spend so much of our Christian walk denigrating ourselves, feeling like we don't, we don't measure up, wishing that we could be more. And if we were to, you know, really continue to focus on and embrace the fact that God loves us just as we are, and that he's now recreated us in his image, there's no flaw in us. That is a very tough position to be in, but it's where the most amount of joy and freedom in the Lord comes from when we embrace the fact that he has a favorable opinion of me all the time because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love how you said that, you know, it's kind of the, in the spiritual realm, you know, we have to accept all that, but you know, there's in the natural realm, not in it, not even like excluding the spiritual realm in the natural realm, there are billions and billions and billions of dollars spent each year to give you the message of you're not enough that this product will make you enough, whether it's a hair product or whether it's a makeup product or whether it's a, you know, a clothing product, this product, you know, here's your problem and here's the solution. This is the, this is the message that is pushed in the world that you are not enough in yourself. And, you know, we know that as a, from a spiritual sense, we aren't, you know, we aren't enough. We can't do it by ourselves, but in Christ, we are more than conquerors in Christ. We are new creation. And, you know, learning is a process and 50% of the learning process is learning new things. And 50% of the learning process is unlearning things we have learned that are no longer true. And so we have to unlearn what society or what a parent or what a friend or what a teacher has said about us. It's not true. 
And somewhere along the way, we grabbed a hold of it and we planted that seed. And like seeds do, they grow and they bear fruit and they begin to put those roots down into our hearts and they begin to get us stuck and they hold us back from who God has for us, you know, who, who, us, who he has for us to be and the mission that he's called us to live. And so we need to, again, like what you're saying, first of all, be, you know, we need to, first of all, foundationally know who God is and know that he's for us and not against us. And we need to believe his word, that we need to know that it is infallible and that we can truly build our life on his word, that we can, that it's, it, we can take it to the bank and we can hold through on it and it's not going to, it's not going to fail us. And then we need to find out what that word says about us and begin to have the courage to believe what that word says and to, to step into that life that God is calling us into one, to have intimacy with him and two, to, to know and to be obedient. Like you said earlier, even then the smallest thing, be obedient to what he tells us to do because those small things will result in big differences in our lives. I love that. You know, I'm so excited when you know, we're co- recording this kind of towards the end of March, and coming up in May, you have this conference, you know, and we are so excited uh, to hear more about that, the, the Get More Out of Life conference. What is, you know, what is something, you know, you created this conference and for what are you hoping that attendees can go into there with and come out with? What are some of the biggest problems you're hoping to deal with? And what are some of the tools that you're hoping to equip attendees with when they walk out of there so they can walk and live into the mission that God has for them? Yeah. So, you know, obviously during COVID, I think maybe all of us have experienced things that we didn't know were part of our thought processes, right? Or we didn't realize uh, that certain things were maybe kind of bubbling under the surface in our lives. So, you know, I think that there's some personal work that we all have to do in that, asking ourselves, you know, um, you know, when, you, when, when all of the things that you loved were taken away, where were you? And to me, what I found in this process is that for those people who had their hopes set on something more than just this world, they flourished during COVID, ironically. And those people who did not have themselves set on a very firm foundation or had been holding on more tightly to maybe the things of this world than they should, they struggled quite a bit. And so I think more than anything, this is going to be a refreshing time for people. Um, You know, we've been so uh, isolated and I don't know if you felt this, but I felt this in the spiritual realm that things really shifted in these last, last 12 months toward something new, a different era, a different, um, you know, a a different season of our our faith. And I think that as believers that we need to fortify ourselves together uh, as the body of Christ to become prepared for, you know, whatever really comes next. And, you know, there's, there's that personal issue that we've all been dealing with, but also we have like this, this global issue of, uh, you know, liberalism, leftist, leftist ideology that has been coming down hard on things of faith. And I think that as Christians, we would be wise to take this uh, small reprieve that we have and build ourselves up together and become strengthened with one another. So that's part of the reason for the conference. Of course, uh, you know, people are going to be able to walk away, I say, which is a new fresh perspective on where do I go from here? 
you know, these things were exposed to me, or I, I was shocked at, you know, my perspective when some of these things were taken away, or I couldn't do this or, or whatever that is, but they're going to be able to come away with a fresh perspective on, on just some new things that I think that the Lord is downloading in them. Like I said, this is a different season, I think, than any of us have ever experienced before. And I think that the Lord is strategic, and he is purposing uh, to, to impact this world continually with the, with the body of Christ and the, the gifts and the talents that he has given given us in order to see his his ultimate uh fulfillment of his kingdom purposes happen in this world and so i believe that each person can find something for themselves and then also be tied into just a a, a a bigger picture of what god is doing within the body of christ so we're gonna have a couple of guest speakers good friend of mine tina conkin who has uh specialized in relationships um we have had more calls in the last 12 months uh, with people who have had relationship problems. And I think we have our entire 20 years of ministry. So I know that this was a stressor on marriages. So she's going to be there ministering to people in their marriages, helping their marriages get strengthened. And we have uh, a, a lady by the name of Dr. Dion Arsenault, who is a, a professor actually at Grand Canyon University. And she specializes in leadership development, but also in her personal life. She's been a single mom for a number of years and she's just really learned how to allow the Lord to love her um, as a single adult woman and, and what it means to have that fulfillment in her relationship with the Lord first, even though she doesn't have a spouse any longer, even though she has the responsibility of raising kids. So I think that's going to be really powerful for people. Um, so it's just going to be a great weekend. The cool thing is, is that we do have a Zoom option available for those people who cannot attend in person. So you can still get all the sessions via Zoom when you sign up for the conference and then we have the person option as well for for those ladies who um, are up for traveling so indiana is pretty open right now the mask mandate is lifting completely on april the 6th and so uh, we invite people to come to the great state of indiana and what is the exact date of the conference uh, the date of the conference is may 14th and 15th so it'll be a friday and a saturday and where can people find more information about the conference and also uh about you chrissy uh, they can just go to christymiles.com. So they go to christymiles.com on the events page. Um, they can get signed up there and uh, let us know that they're coming and we'll, we'll host them here. We can't wait to, to see everybody. Absolutely. Chrissy, for our listeners who know God has a mission for their lives and they are looking to break out into it, what final encouragement can you leave with them? Well, I like you said, I love the title of your podcast show, The Missional Life, Living on Mission. I believe that, you know, God has just a purpose and a plan for every one of us. And I would just encourage you, you know, and your listeners to just not be afraid. God is 100% trustworthy. And even if you don't know the details of how something can happen, when he downloads something into your heart, you can, you can follow it. And you can, like you said, you can take it to the bank. Like God wants to fulfill his good purposes uh, in this world through, through us. And the, the beauty of it is, is that we're blessed and we're benefited when we take that journey with him. So living life on purpose, living a missional life, I think is really the key to getting the most joy and fulfillment out of life that we possibly can get. And so uh, I just want to encourage people to keep trusting that inner voice, that still small voice and, and follow it. it. He will never, ever lead you astray or guide you down the wrong path. Amen. So good. Chrissy, thank you so yes, much for spending you. some time with us today. I know it's been a blessing to us personally mm -hmm. and, and to our listeners as well. We're so excited for what God is doing in you and through you and for your conference to get more out of life. And uh, listeners, we'll have the, all that information in the show notes. Chrissy, thank you so much. You're a blessing. Thanks, Dan and Amanda. Thanks for having me.